Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, grab a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and in case you use a, one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1014. While you're finding your place, let me ask you, what is it that, that motivates and enables people to do difficult things? When the, when the going gets tough, what is it that propels people to keep pushing forward despite the difficulties? Well, I would say that at least one of those things is the desire for a preferred future. Right? There is, there's something to gain that makes the sacrifices that are necessary to get there worthwhile. So, for example, what, what keeps a soldier engaged in war despite the fact that they are undersupplied and, and perhaps in dire conditions? Well, it's, it's the, the, the desire for freedom or, or a commitment to the well-being of their country and uh, protecting it against any who would harm it. All right, what drives an Olympic athlete to endure a, a long-term, grueling training regimen? Well, it's, it's the desire to win, right? The, the mental picture of standing up on the podium with a gold medal uh, is, is what motivates an athlete to wake up every day and push themselves to their mental and physical limit over and over again. Right, having the, the vision of a preferred future is what gives people the ability to persevere through difficulty in order to get there. And this morning, Peter is going to apply that principle to us as he calls us to keep our focus on our eternal future as we live out our earthly lives in ways that honor the Lord in spite of difficulty. And so we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 13. Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so over the last couple of weeks, we have uh, covered the opening section of this letter, verses 1 through 12, where Peter has addressed a group of, of churches throughout the region of ancient Asia Minor, who have been ex experiencing suffering uh, as a result of following Jesus on top of enduring all of the normal difficulties that come along with living in this broken world. These, these Christians are going through it. Life is hard, and in some cases they may even be asking God why he's allowing them to go through these things. And so uh, Peter has encouraged them so far to remember their privileged status as God's chosen people, uh, to, to, to remember that they've been born again to a living hope and, and been given an inheritance that is beyond imagining. That as the, the people who have experienced the fulfillment of the salvation God promised through the Old Testament, they have the assurance that all of the hardships of this life are being used by God to purify their faith and will ultimately result in praise, honor, and glory 
on the day when Jesus comes back. And now as we pick up again, beginning in verse 13, Peter says, therefore. So, So in light of everything that he has said up to this point, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the main command here is, is to set your mind fully on the grace to come at the revelation of Jesus, the time when we will receive all of the things that Peter has promised us so far in this letter. So if if you understand and you believe everything that Peter has said in verses 1 through 12, then then put your focus on that. And what he means here is that this world, as we've already established, is not our home. And so we should not assume that this life is going to go smoothly or or easily. In, In other words, despite what some prosperity teachers might try to tell you followers of Jesus are not living their best life now. And we should adjust our expectations accordingly. And so right up front, the reality that we need to recognize is that we will not have peace or joy in life if we expect everything is going to go well here and now, because it's not. But we can have peace and joy in spite of the difficulties we experience in life, if we keep our focus on the inexpressibly wonderful things God has for us in the life to come. Peter tells us here to set our hope fully on that. Now you'll notice in the first half of verse 13 that Peter gives us a couple of phrases, two phrases, that describe how we are to do this by preparing our minds for action and by being sober-minded. So first of all, we are to prepare our minds for action. And the the actual wording there, which your translation might note, would be girding up the loins of your mind. What on earth does that mean? Well, as you probably know, people in in the ancient world, world wore long robes that went all the way down to the ground. At least the ancient Jews did that. And so if you needed to do any kind of strenuous activity, anything beyond just walking, whether, whether running or working or even going into battle, then, then you would gird up your loins, which, which meant that you would take all of the material at the bottom of your robe and you would pull it up through the middle and then tuck it in behind your belt. It kind of made like an adult diaper uh, type of situation, but, but it was much easier to maneuver that way than, than by risking stepping on your robe. And so it, it, allowed, uh, it, it allowed you to act much more freely. And then eventually, as, as it so often does, girding up your loins came to be used as a, as a generic expression for, for getting ready to take action of any kind. Uh, it's, you know, colloquially, it's similar to how we might say, roll up your sleeves today, like, get ready to, to go to work. And the reason Peter says that we need to be ready to act with our minds is because keeping our hope where it is supposed to be requires us to be intentional. Right? This, is, this is not something that comes naturally to us. This is something that we have to remind ourselves of over and over and come back to over and over on a daily basis because the world that we live in operates as if this life is all that we have. And so it provides a steady stream of distractions and alternative hopes for us to get caught up in, whether that's pursuing success or accumulating stuff 
or looking a certain way, or or any number of other things, all of which will ultimately fail us in the end. So if we're going to persevere in following Jesus despite the ups and downs of this life, if we're going to remain faithful to him even in the face of opposition, then we have to prepare our minds for action so that we can keep our focus where it needs to be in the face of competing hopes. Then secondly, we we set our hope on God's future grace toward us by being sober-minded. Now, sober-mindedness refers to not allowing our our thinking to to be clouded. Most of the time, we tend to think of sobriety as as not misusing drugs or alcohol. But the concept itself includes not having our judgment impaired by any kind of influence, whether that be a a substance or emotions or other people or or false teaching. Sober-mindedness is about maintaining clarity in our perspective on life according to the standard of God's Word, and then fighting against anything that would hinder us or our ability to think or act accordingly. And so just to give one specific example of, of many that we could talk about, so much research has shown the negative impact that, that social media has on people. For one reason, because it makes it appear like everybody else's life is so great, and they've got all of their stuff together, and everything is going well for them. And we, when we compare our experience to, to their filtered and selective portrayals, it causes dissatisfaction in our own hearts, which has ultimately been linked uh, even to depression. And of course, the reality is that everybody else's life isn't all together, but Peter's call to prepare our minds for action is a reminder that we have to guard ourselves against false expectations because our hope isn't in this life. Of course, when it comes to social media, that's not even to mention all of the ridiculously stupid things that get posted on there, right? You've got, you've got all these memes with, with pithy one-line statements about living life, and, and people will comment, oh, thank you for sharing that. I feel that in my soul. And I'm like, I really wish you didn't, because that's absolutely backwards. That has nothing to to do with with reality as God has designed it. So much of what is accepted as wisdom in our culture is completely foolish. And if we're not careful, then it can begin to influence our thinking more than what God has said in the Scriptures. So at least one recipe, again, out of many, for, for increased sober-mindedness is for us to take in more Bible and less social media. And so in, in the face of the suffering of this life, Peter has called us to set our hope fully on what God has for us when Jesus returns. And now he's going to explain how we are to live in light of that hope as we pick up again beginning in verse 14. He says, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so as we pick up again in verse 14, Peter moves on to explain how we should live our lives in light of setting our hope properly on what God has in store for us. First he says, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions 
of your former ignorance. And so he starts by describing us as obedient children. Uh, We were reminded back in verse 2 that our salvation, God's grace to us, is meant to lead us to a life of obedience to Jesus' commands. And we also know from the New Testament that in salvation, God has actually adopted us and taken us in as his own children so that we relate to him as a father. And so just as parents want their children to trust that they know what's best for them, and to obey them, God expects the same from us. We should be obedient children. More specifically, Peter commands us here not to be conformed to the former passions of our ignorance. And so the Bible tells us that by nature, we are spiritually dead. We are are spiritually blind. We do not know God. And so in that condition, we attempt to put the pieces of this life together in any number of different ways, whether that be uh, a religion or a philosophy or just making things up uh, as, as we go along. Uh, there are, there are uh, any number of things that, that because we don't know God, we begin to search for meaning and significance and satisfaction in, in other things, whether money or pleasure or popularity. There are all kinds of behaviors and activities that may look good or feel good or seem to work well for a certain time, but that are ultimately destructive to our own lives and the lives of those around us. And part of the good news of the gospel, which we're going to be reminded of here in a moment, is that we've been redeemed from these things. Part of our present experience of salvation is that the Holy Spirit is setting us free from these destructive actions and and behaviors. But I think that the connection here with verse 13 is that even after we become Christians, old habits often die hard. And if, if if we allow the focus of our hope to slip from eternity back onto this life, then when life gives us a gut punch, we are easily tempted to turn back to many of those things in order to provide us with a sense of comfort or an escape. If we don't turn to God, then we're going to turn to something else, which becomes idolatry. And so instead of being conformed to sinful attitudes and actions, Peter calls us at the end of verse 15 to be holy in all our conduct. As we said a couple of weeks ago, when it comes to the the concept of being holy, being sanctified, we're talking about being set apart for God's purposes. We belong to God because of Jesus, and we are to be exclusively devoted to Him. His perspective of the world should, should influence our perspective. His character should be reflected in our character. And you notice that Peter cites the Old Testament in verse 16, since it is written, and and throughout the book of Leviticus, as the Lord gives Israel his law, he, he calls them, he tells them, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God's old covenant people were expected to order their lives around his expectations, How much more should that be true of us who have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts under the new covenant? Peter is calling us here to live out our new identity as God's people. 
And as I said a couple of weeks ago, it is our sanctification, it is our holiness to the Lord that is going to get us in trouble with our culture. You see, people really don't care if you believe differently from them as long as you keep it to yourself. People don't really care if if you've been born again or you've had some kind of uh, super religious experience as long as it doesn't impact the way that you live. But when it comes to holiness, when it it comes to, to God setting the agenda for our lives, which will inevitably require us, at least sometimes, to swim against the tide of the culture, that's when it becomes unacceptable and and where we are going to begin to experience opposition. And again, if our hope is set on this life, then, then when that happens, we will eventually compromise our faith when the world turns the heat up high enough. And the only way to endure is to have our hope set where it rightfully belongs. And so a right perspective on hope allows us to live obediently to the Lord in the midst of difficulty and distraction. And now Peter's going to expand on this even more as we pick up again, beginning in verse 17. He says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so as we pick up again in verse 17, Peter develops his argument even further when he says, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. All right, so, so if this, then that. All right, if you call the God who is going to judge impartially according to our deeds father, then you should conduct yourself with fear during this life. Now, there are a couple of elements of this statement that deserve further explanation. First of all, we may read this and think, wait, God's going to judge us according to our deeds? I thought that salvation was all about grace through faith alone. Well, it absolutely is. But as we've seen so many times throughout the Bible, genuine faith in Jesus always leads to obedience. So if you want to know what a person really believes, not just what they say, but what they really believe, then watch what they do. Jesus himself says that a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. James tells us that that any so-called faith that doesn't lead to works is dead. John tells us that if we truly love God, then we will obey his commandments. And so when Peter says that God judges according to to our deeds, what he means is that our actions and attitude in this life are going to serve as the evidence for our faith or our lack of it. So if we claim that God is our Father, then we need to have the lifestyle to back that up. And then secondly, what does Peter mean when he says conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile? 
Well, the word fear can be used in in more than one way. It can be used to refer to terror, which is how we generally use it in in modern times. But it can also refer to to a sense of reverence or respect. In in biblical terms, that that reverential fear of the Lord is one of the primary ways of of characterizing someone as having a proper relationship with God. Someone who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I think that, that we understand this fairly naturally, right? As a dad, I don't want my kids to be afraid of me, at least most of the time, sometimes, but not most of the time, right? But, but I do want them to recognize who I am, right? That the primary characteristic of our relationship is love, but that love has to be built on a foundation of healthy respect for my authority over them. That's the only way it works, and I'll do what I need to do to get their attention when necessary. Right? And the same thing is true with our relationship with God. If we call Him Father, then we should conduct ourselves with fear. But on, on an even deeper level, I think that verses 18 and 19 expand on this further. And we are, are to conduct ourselves with fear during our time in this world because we know, knowing that we were ransomed from futile ways. We've talked before about the idea of ransom or redemption being the the act of paying the price for someone else to be set free from slavery. And in in this case, Peter identifies the slavery as the feudal ways of your forefathers. And so again, as, as I mentioned a moment ago, by nature, we are spiritually dead and blind. We don't know God. And because we don't know God or His will for our lives, we try to put the pieces of this life together in in any number of different ways. Again, whether it's religion or a philosophy or if we just make things up as we go. But the reality is that all of those efforts are futile. They don't work because we can't come to the truth on our own. We We are trapped in any number of different paths, but all of them lead to the same place of judgment. But the good news that we see here is that the Lord has ransomed those who are in Christ. A price was paid so that we could be set free from the false understandings that we we come into this world with and that we can be brought into the truth. And the cost was paid, we see, not with things of, of temporary earthly value like silver or gold or human money, but with the precious blood of Christ who gave himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus has ransomed us by his blood on the cross. And and the, the preciousness of that blood refers to the infinite value of what he has provided us in that. And the point, again, to to take it one step further, is that if we truly understand and embrace the reality that we were on the path to destruction, but that God ransomed us and saved us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then how could we possibly go forward from there and live our lives as if that doesn't matter? To live contrary to what he wants for us. No, the only legitimate response to what Jesus has done is to conduct ourselves in a holy fear out of gratefulness for what Jesus has done. And then at the end of the passage, Peter loops back around again to where he started back in verse 3, and he expands on God's eternal plan of salvation. 
He says in verse 20 that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And as we said back in, in week one, God's foreknowledge doesn't simply refer to the fact that he knows what's going to happen ahead of time, although that's absolutely true. His foreknowledge refers to the fact that God has had a plan since before the foundation of the world. And as Peter says, that plan has now been executed or it has been made manifest through Jesus. All right, so keeping our hope where it needs to be goes hand in hand with, with keeping in mind the bigger picture of the story that we are living in as God saves his people from their sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then in verse 21, Peter says that God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory, which is the foundation of our faith in him. And he affirms that these believers' faith and hope are in God. Right? And so Peter finishes where he started by encouraging these believers that they have a true and genuine faith in God. And their experience of suffering does not diminish that in any way. Right? There's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with them or, or deficient about their faith. They are exactly where they are supposed to be. And now they simply need to do what they are supposed to do. So we'll come back to more as we continue through the letter. But in our passage this morning, Peter calls us to set our hope fully on what God has in store for us on the last day. Now, the, the, the reality, the inescapable reality, is that we are going to experience sickness in this life. We're going to have strained relationships with other people. We're going to experience financial difficulties at times. We're going to have our plans fall through. And ultimately, all of us face the reality of death, right? Being a Christian doesn't exempt us from any of that. And if that weren't enough, on top of that, sometimes following Jesus in this world will bring us into even more hardship as the, the world that we live in rejects us and, and oppresses us for not conforming to its patterns. Right? The only way that we can have peace and joy, the only way we'll be able to pursue holiness in the face of temptation and suffering and persecution is if we keep our hope focused on God's future grace toward us. Right? So it's a lot like running. Right? If you're trying to get from point A to point B, then it's important for you to keep looking at where you're trying to get to. If I'm trying to run straight ahead, but I keep looking over here to the side, it's just a matter of time before I veer off, and eventually I'm probably going to trip and fall on my face, because that's not how it works. Where your focus is determines where you go. And so we have to keep our hope focused on what God has promised us. Now, I do want to say, because anytime we have a passage like this, there's a, there's a danger of coming across like too far on an extreme. And so this is not to say that everything in this life is bad or that God has not given us any blessings that we are to enjoy in this life. Right? I'm, I'm sure that we've all heard of the danger of, of being so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. But if we're honest, I don't think that that's the danger that most of us face. And in fact, I can't think of anybody that I've ever met that actually fit that description. I think for all of us, the, the greater temptation and danger is that we're much more likely to get caught up in what's happening right now at work or at school 
or with our kids' extracurricular activities or pursuing the American dream that we fail to live with an eternal perspective. And in doing so, we we open ourselves up and we become vulnerable when things don't go well for us. The point is, is not for us to become stoic and to go through life emotionless until we can just get to the other side eventually. The point that Peter is making is for us to have a perspective that is weighted towards the eternal rather than what is temporal. And so as we close, let me give you just one warning sign that might indicate that you're putting too much weight on this life. If you ever find yourself thinking, if only... If only I could have this, or if only I could do that, or if only this thing would happen, then I would be okay. Or on the the flip side, if only not. If if only I didn't have this, or if only this didn't happen, or if only I didn't have to do this, then I would be okay. If that kind of thinking begins coming across our minds, it's a good indication that we might be expecting too much out of this life, and we need to come back to a proper perspective. Church, there's good news this morning in that that our hope can be in everything that God has for us in the life to come. We need to let the salvation that we have been promised be the preferred future that we set our focus on, like a soldier focuses on victory, or or an athlete focuses on, on winning. No matter what happens, we have a hope beyond this life that is better than anything this life could offer us to begin with. For believers, it it is really true that the best is always yet to come. And that confidence should enable us to have joy as we live a life of obedience to the Lord, even in the midst of difficulty and suffering. So this morning, let's keep our eyes on that prize. As the old song says, we will be able to say, it is well with my soul. Let's pray together.